everyone. Welcome to the Dishes and Dimes podcast presented by basketballnews.com. I am joined by Iman. It's your host, Yasmin. Um, so some background. Uh, we recorded yesterday, uh, myself and Katie, um, but it turns out like half our audio wasn't usable. So we're going to have to go through this again. Um, so we'll try to cover all the themes that we did. We'll go over the questions and everything. But um, yeah, that's the reason for the delay, you know, technical difficulties. But anyways, thank you so much for um, joining me, Iman, <laughs> in order to do this again. No problem. Um, so a lot has happened over the course of the last several days. Um, it seems that like whenever the Raptors uh, get on a roll, like they experience like a setback that they really can't help, <laughs> whether it's like injuries or something. But of course now, um, at first it was uh, Pascal Siakam and six coaching staff members of the Toronto Raptors that were sidelined with, um, I don't want to say with COVID, but due to COVID protocol. So I'm assuming perhaps there was a, um, exposure or something happened requiring them to undergo quarantine and everything. Um, and then literally um, after the matchup versus the Rockets, um, the team does not have enough players um, to play a game. And the subsequent matchup against the Chicago Bulls was canceled. So um, I'm going to assume uh, they're probably not going to play until after All-Star break. Um and I, I don't know if you came across this, uh, someone mentioned, I think it was, I think it was a writer from the New York Times or something. Um, but they mentioned that um, the Raptors were like one of only four teams that have not experienced like rescheduled games. And I was like, four teams were all that was left? Like, I distinctly remember several teams experiencing like a ton of delayed games. Like I know it happened to the Mavs and the Celtics and the Heat. Um, but I hadn't keep I hadn't kept track, and I didn't know that they had rescheduled like basically uh, twenty six teams in the league, and that the Raptors were the twenty seventh now. And <laughs> I hate to I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but like the fact that it's like the two LA teams and the Nets, basically all three of the biggest you know blockbusters teams of the season <laughs> that have remained healthy is incredibly suspicious. Do you feel that way? <laughs> No, it's, it's hilarious. It, it is. If the Raptors weren't the fourth there, I think, yeah. Um, and the poor Chicago Bulls um, have had four games rescheduled now, not due to anything with oh, them. God. They've just been the opponents <laughs> in, in all four of those, and that, that includes this Raptors game. And um, so I thought that that was hilarious as well, just looking into it. Like, the poor Chicago Bulls just happened to face the wrong teams at the wrong time. Um, but my question to you in, in all of this, because I, I don't think that there's any conspiracy there. I yeah, think it's just a really odd coincidence. And, and <laughs> it's just odd. It's strange. But um, what I my question to you is, like, what do you think happened? So the Raptors don't have eight players. Yeah. That's what you yeah. need. You need a minimum of eight players um, to play a game. And they don't have that due to contact tracing. But they had that in the Houston game. What happened between Houston That's and Chicago? That's my thing. Like, there, something is just, there's a missing piece to it. And honestly, like, I, I like the whole um, Nets and LA teams thing is, like, obviously, like, just a hilarious coincidence. But um, it, it shows to me, like, and I especially noticed it when the Raptors faced the Nets and KD was sidelined despite having played for 20 minutes. 
you know, and being guarded closely by Pascal Siakam for those 20 minutes. Like, it makes me think that there is more flexibility to how they're interpreting, how the, like the interpretation of the COVID protocol than we think. I think it's like at the discretion of the league. Um, because in reality, um, after KD got on that court, everyone on the court was exposed. You know what I mean? Um, if he's exposed, that that's how epidemiology works like that's how the spread of disease works i think i think had he tested positive then we would have seen both teams have to really um have to quarantine well we would have seen the nets you know have been stuck by that but you don't need to test positive to spread it that's the thing right like you exactly exactly he could be a carrier he maybe has the antibodies we know that he's already had Mm. covid yeah for sure yeah and it's just like just the spread of germs like how it works would mean that if you were, like, you know, truly um, trying to minimize the spread as much as possible, like, I was saying this, this to Katie, if they actually followed through with, like, authentic protocol, protocols, we probably, the league would have probably been, like, canceling the season a few games in <laughs> as soon as, like, yeah. the Heat or something. <laughs> um, I think the Heat were, like, the first team that had, like, a huge amount of games, like, um, postponed and everything. Um, if, if that was the case, like, yeah, the teams would not be playing period. The season would not be going on. So obviously like they're leaving room for, um, uh, the rule changes that they have or the uh, protocols that they have. There's a lot of room for interpretation for it. They probably judge it based on a number of factors outside of the spread of disease. You know what I mean? Um, so that's my interpretation of the whole scenario, but you know, um, Had had that Nets Raptors game not been on national television, I don't think it would have ever happened. I think that would be a game that yeah, you just that's, that's what I mean. They make you make the um, yeah. there's like a business decision make being made outside of all this because having um, NBA basketball playing right now, period, is a business decision. So obviously, um, you know, their um, COVID protocols, quote unquote, that you know they often put as the reason for on these. Um, uh, um, what is it called? The injury reports. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not being determined by like a team of scientists. <laughs> they perhaps like yeah. have a, an advisor on this, you know, the committee that deals with this sort of thing. Um, but it's ultimately ruled by um, the whims of, you know, the people that, you know, own this league and fund this league. So, um, you know, that's my take on it. And, you know, I... Uh, since all-star break is like kind of coming up, it's kind of made the situation less, um, you know, dire, I guess. Like they're not dealing with um, these um, postponements and everything um, in the middle of a second half of the season or something, which I guess is better. But their second half of their schedule is incredibly dense. I think they have eight back-to-backs. So... Yeah, and the the Raptors had an easier one than most other teams because, like you said, they were one of four teams that didn't have any games yeah, postponed. Yeah. The, and and now we're probably looking at an additional three games. Yeah, they're going to have an additional three games, you know, slotted, probably an increase in a couple of more back-to-backs. And um, luckily, the second half of their schedule, I think, is third um, easiest in the NBA, just based off of rankings of other teams. And I know that that's kind of skewed because a bunch of teams in the Eastern Conference that I would categorize as, like, Good teams, solid teams are right now like kind of at 500, below 500, above 500. Like it's kind of skewed in the Eastern Conference, but um, generally like the second half of their schedule looks like it's going to be 
much easier. All their matchups versus teams like, you know, the Bulls and the Pistons and the Cavs and stuff are kind of condensed on that half. So um, they, if you put money, if you put money down on the Raptors oh. over, just, you know, continuing tradition, you might get you it, might, which you is might. the craziest <laughs> thing. You might, they're, they're kind of on pace to finish with 42 wins or 41 wins, which is right around where that over and under was set at 41.5. So if they continue to win at the clip that they've been winning at since the 2-8 and eight start, they're, they're going to hit that over, which is incredible to say. So that's something to look out for as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, honestly, they could probably use the break. <laughs> I feel like... Um, the second, the yeah. first half of the schedule, all the adjustment that they had to do with the relocation and the playing in this different arena and having all these, basically every single game be a away game is like, um, they probably have like, they probably need the time to de-stress and everything. So um, it might be yeah. for the better right now. Um, just hoping that everyone is healthy. That's ultimately my hope because um, we saw like Tatum is back from his um, experience with COVID and he's claimed that his conditioning's nowhere, nowhere where it was. And you can even see it, in, see it in his play. He's playing more so like last season, the beginning of last season rather than um, uh, the hot streak that he's been on. So hopefully um, none of the players deal with um, the after effects and the um, repercussions of, you know, getting this illness. So that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about how the Raptors just continue to have these setbacks as soon as they start rolling. I just started thinking about um, Pascal Siakam because I think he's the the guy who he starts to get rolling and then there's another setback that comes in, whether it's the groin injury or the bubble and now potentially COVID. I mean, obviously the Raptors are are very tight lipped and there's HIPAA and there's all sorts of things. So we don't definitively know um, whether or not Pascal Siakam has COVID, but just looking at the situation and the fact that now uh, the Raptors don't have eight players to suit up in a game kind of lends us to believe that Pascal Siakam more than likely tested positive for COVID. And he's Um, someone that honestly seems to have taken the protocol super seriously. Like we know that during the off season, he stayed like huddled at home. Like he was really honoring the stay at home order that, you know, the rest of the Toronto, the rest of Toronto was abiding by. Um, So, you know, it, it just goes to show that, um, you know, I even mentioned it on the last recording with Katie, where did you see that clip of Dennis Schroeder on the, um, post-game interview where he said that he doesn't feel as safe as he did in the bubble and then his connection cut out (laughs) oh that's hilarious Uh, no I didn't see that yeah as soon as he said that um he's had more COVID scares than he did in the bubble like you know way far more um his connection cut out which was hilarious um but yeah, it's like it seems that everyone's See, vulnerable. That's the thing, guys. Everyone like this I that's why I hated this idea that these players are safer with the games being That, that was such a weird assertion like, someone made. I saw that too. And it was it was quite popular. Like it was one that was going around and it it didn't make any sense to me. Like, no, you're not doing them a favor by playing these games. Yes, they're doing <laughs> that's a lot it for of mental gymnastics. They need the paychecks. <laughs> a lot of mental gymnastics because it, they're like, well, you know, these we saw these players have pickup games and all sorts of different things. And it's like, okay, those are the players that are being reckless. And guess what? They're probably going to continue to be a little bit reckless. And now the players that were taking it seriously are going to be put into a gym and told to bang bodies with these guys and, for 48 minutes yeah. a night. And it's not even just the um, pickup and all of that and, like, you know, fraternize, fraternizing, you know, within, you know, the the brotherhood of the league and everything. But it's also the fact that they're on these planes. These planes are literally the yeah. worst way. The planes, the hotels, yeah. 
the planes and hotels, first of all, planes literally run on recycled air. So it's air that has been breathed, like, and then clean. Like, it's, yeah. you know, this, these are cabins with no ventilation. They go to hotels that have um, seen, like, a, just a rotating door of tourists and, you know, people going in. These guys are not staying at, like, luxury penthouse suites. You know, they're staying at just decent hotels for, like, one day. <laughs> um, right. So this is, and, like, like... it's unfortunate to say, but housekeepers in those hotels are also incredibly high Exactly. Risk exposure, in yeah. And, in and out. And there's just... There's a high... Yeah, there's just... There's more exposure there. So you're, you're not keeping players more safe. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate to say, like, the Raptors almost made it to the, the first half of the season almost done without, without actually having to deal with any of this. But I can't see it not affecting every single team, every single team in the league. I just, yeah, yeah, I think well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, what point does it have to get to until, like, I feel like I was just saying this where um, I feel like every day, like, there's some sort of bad news. <laughs> And I'm just kind of anticipating yeah. the next news or the next setback for the league. So I'm wondering what will be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know what I mean? Because I'm not sure that this is sustainable until a postseason. I'm not sure. So um, yeah. I, I honestly don't know what it would take. Maybe a postseason in a bubble. Do you think they do a postseason Perhaps, in a bubble? Perhaps, yeah. I could honestly, yeah, I could fathom that. Um it, I, I honestly like bubble basketball I found quite enjoyable you know like it was weird I loved yeah, it. it was I, I thought it was really <laughs> cool like it was unpredictable and it, it had like the just the setup was just that I, I felt like they really did a great job kind of mimicking that same excitement and the electricity of a regular postseason it wasn't the same but it was really good um it was yeah. so good. And you you wrote something not similar at all to this. This is just my brain warping this. But it's always a sentiment I felt about watching NBA players as sort of characters yeah. almost, <laughs> in a way. Like following NBA teams like you do storylines in a TV show. And I think watching the bubble, there's this very... This is a terrible comparison, guys. This is not coming out properly at all. It's Monday. I'm nah, in the middle it. of a <laughs> lunch at work. <laughs> like, guys. But um, it's very... so. As someone who loved the Hunger Games series as it came out, <laughs> I'm just seeing these teams go into this space and everyone is on the outside living their life, kind of rooting for these guys that are cut off from the rest of society. Oh my god, it's actually like, hilarious. Told to go in there and bubble and like fight basically to the bitter end. And it's it's so weird and there's that just pageantry. Like, they're in such a str- and the, the chaos around the world. It all. <laughs> Everything else in the world is is falling into chaos, and you have these guys, and it's like, who's going to come out on top? Is it my person? Is it District One? Is it you know the Lakers? <laughs> no, this is, is an it excellent what analogy, you? Iman? This um, is an excellent analogy. You. What are you talking about? Because that's, <laughs> that's <great. laughs> there's a mess in my brain at all times, but that's that's a hundred percent how I kind of watched it, and so there was it felt so much more exciting than just a general playoff scenario to me it just it felt very much like a a fight to the to the end and who's going to be the last team standing because also when you lose you also have to leave the bubble yeah right so it very much felt like you're now like thank you your time here is over we're shuttling you out which um i guess in the hunger games if you lose you die um so it's a little it's a little bit different but um very similar in in the same no, way yeah that's a great analogy and i was just i was it's funny you bring that up because also i brought up to katie that um I think the reason why people are kind of just kind of disenchanted with this season i, I feel like that's been a common sentiment have you noticed that where people are just yeah, yeah, they just for sure. something's off about it, and I 
I think it's the fact that they're trying to make it like it's a regular season. It's kind of lost that pageantry, the escapism, the, you know, the effort to make it um, different from our world. This is a fake season. Stop trying to present it to me like it's real. Right? Like, don't give me, yeah, just stop trying to present. It's like someone giving you singles American cheese and telling you that it's real cheddar. And you're just like, no, you can just tell me that this is what it is, you know? (laughs) Stop trying to give me a fake thing and presenting it as real because it just makes it fake and weird. And I don't know. Yeah. It's, Um. Next topic, something that's happened this Ooh. week. Can I, can oh, I, ahead. sorry, can I just like add in, just as we're talking about all of this and like when the destruction of all of it is going to come through, to me, All-Star Weekend seems like Yeah, it. you feel a bad I omen, have, bad vibes. I, I feel, it's all of the bad vibes. It's every single bad vibe that you could possibly muster so unnecessary, and, and yeah. throw into a weekend. It feels very unnecessary. I know Adam Silver said there won't be any, or he doesn't want there parties to be any sort of parties and things like that. Okay, we're, we're not... The, the, like I said, stop trying to sell me these fake things. Like, we know exactly what's going to happen. We see flyers and posters of it all over social media right now. There are going to be people traveling from all over the country clubs. to go to yeah. Atlanta. And, and Georgia's open. Yeah, yeah. Georgia's, Georgia's wide open. So it's like it, none of this is going to be happening in secrecy. The NBA very well knows what they're doing. Um, I get that there's a couple of extra dollars to get there, but this feels disastrous. In the same way we saw spikes in January and Adam Silver was just like, well, we know this is what's going to happen over Christmas holidays and guys getting back. There are going to be spikes after all-star break i just can't see another way around it and you're putting your biggest stars you're putting your best players all in this space as well so i don't see how it doesn't become the biggest stars getting covid i like it's not going to be the 13th oh yeah literally roster, the best players in not the saying NBA. That it's going to be the best players i'm not saying that one person getting covid is is like worse than another person getting covid for the nba bottom the product, line yeah. dollars it is for the product on the court but like obviously as, as humans we're all we're all equal but um and I just don't see how this doesn't affect the NBA in a very major way. Yeah, yeah. But I know I know what you mean because it seems as if they're kind of pushing the boundaries. Like, they're already pushing it enough. But it seems like they're getting yeah. greedy now with the – well, it's already greedy. But it seems like they're kind of just getting overzealous with it, like trying to push an all-star. Like, something so unnecessary that fans don't even value. Do you, like, who, like everyone jokes about how no. useless the all-star game and how no one tries. You know what I mean? Like, people want the accolade. Of the all-star game yeah. and they want, you know, the group photo and everything. Just name them. Um, but like there's just name them. But like, can you imagine? Like, are they going to test people day of the game? Oh, they'd have to. So Before, like after everything. So then yeah. if, So then so then if they're gonna go through those testing protocols and you find out that like, I don't know, someone random on on an all-star team tested positive and they've been doing press and they've oh, been doing God. whatever else, what happens? Like what what are you opening yourselves up yeah. to? I mean, I can't imagine the press is going to be the same as it normally is. Oh, <laughs> Over All-Star Weekend, it's not going to be the same. But I just don't see how the NBA polices this in the way that they're they're um, hoping to. Hey, fingers crossed that it all works out really well and I'm wrong about exactly. all of this. I just, I'm getting like, all Like, we don't want to be right about it. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> no. I would love um, to be wrong. So, the next topic was basically the, um, this week, uh... Michael Grange um, did a really good job reaching out to Adam Silver um, in regards to the um, his words on the um, assault that Masai experienced right after the um, championship moment, 2019, um, where he was pushed by a sheriff. 
Um, and it honestly, like, you know, Masai has been very vocal about how it tainted his experience. And, um, you know, you think about it, how it's basically like you're trying to reach the pinnacle of your career. And you basically, uh, instead of having uh, the joy and everything, you have like a tinge of trauma that follows it. Um, and he seemed he seems just, you know, kind of hung up on it in a way that's like this is something that truly, truly bothered him. Um, and it, <laughs> fittingly, <laughs> Adam Silver basically um, says um, something along the lines of how Masai lives on the edge or something um, and how um, basically insinuating that he had put himself in this sort of scenario. Um, and he followed up um, to Michael Grange about how he wishes he could take back those words and how um, he had spoken to Masai a hundred times and everything. And, you know, I'm under the belief that if you say something like that publicly, your, your apology should be public. Um, and his apology was not public until recently. And I'm not even sure if it was an apology. He just basically said that he wishes he could take it back and everything. Um, and it, it also like something that people noted in a statement was that, um, he mentioned with what we know now, which basically refers to the release of the body cam footage that basically illustrated everything that Masai said. And it's just like, is that what has to happen for people to be believed? Like they have to have actual video evidence rather than witness accounts and their own experiences. Like, is that what it's come to? And it's honestly, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's, it, it, I was um, talking about it on the last recording where I said that the league wants to kind of um, reap the rewards of presenting as a progressive league. You know what I mean? But they don't want to do the work and engage in like the ethics required to truly be progressive and you know ultimately what can we expect you know this is like it's a, it's a corporation um but you know I, I guess i shouldn't be shocked by it but i just thought it was interesting just the the details of his statement yeah for sure i mean i have what he said um oh yeah it, read it out please part, i want to hear it's sure uh it's part and parcel of what comes with someone who's living on the edge a bit and is hardwired to sort of march forward with incredible energy. Lessons learned for him without assigning culpability or blame to anyone. As a leader, those are the kinds of situations he needs to learn to oh avoid. Oh God, it's even worse than I remember. As a leader, no, yeah, it was, it was awful. And he was really trying to parse his words there. There were a lot of pauses that, I mean, I'm not an actor. I'm yeah. not going to try to imitate it. But there were a lot of pauses as he was trying to find words. And, you know, he said he didn't want to assign blame or culpability um, while still doing just that. Um, and he since mentioned as a lawyer, that was just not his place to come in until full evidence came out, which is all, all sorts of like the, the apology wasn't a real apology, in my opinion. Um, and I agree with you. If your comments are going to be made public, your apology should be as well. Um, or as fans will say, let the disres let the apology be yeah. as loud as a disrespect. Um, so, I mean, I you ask, is this where we've gotten? And the answer is we've been here. Yeah. And. Um, we know this, right? And and even when video evidence comes out, and this is something that Fred Van Vliet has talked about. This is something that Doc Rivers has talked about. This is something that players talk about when, and obviously I'm not comparing, um, you know, George Floyd's life being taken to this moment here, but there, we, we hear, Fred Van Vliet mentioned it, and I, I don't have his exact words here, but he was talking about, um, 
this feeling of almost being like everything sort of being justified or people trying to find justifications for absolutely everything. Well, what was he doing? Well, what did he do to deserve that? Even after the video comes out, people are refusing to look at direct evidence that's right in front of them and trying to find ways to justify a very clearly racist and bad act. Yeah. <laughs> as far as murder, people go out of their ways to justify murder, right? And so in, in, in this instance, there was 20,000 people there were 20,000 people in the arena. You have Miss Nigeria, who has a great relationship with Adam Silver, saying what he knew happened. You have eyewitnesses that were close by saying that exact same thing. And still, blame was thrown at Masai as well. And that was a situation that he was supposed to learn from. And what situation could that possibly be? Not be black in the biggest moment of your life? Yeah. Like, what what could he have possibly learned? Um, and it's unfortunate that, like you said, he worked his entire life to reach this moment, this pinnacle of his career. Um, everything that he'd done worked up right to this moment. And he was assaulted because the officer didn't think that he should be yeah. there. And it's it's hard not to see that as just a racial thing. And it's um and for Adam Silver to cover a league of predominantly black men and to not understand that, to not think to hey, maybe I don't comment on this if I don't know all of the facts, if you don't believe Masai's story, if you don't believe what people are saying, maybe don't comment on it um on national TV, on a clip that you know is going to be thrown around all over the place. Now Masai says that, you know, he's fine with Adam Silver's apology, and so there's you know, on that front, their relationship is still all great and dandy. But, um, I mean, this is just, like, what can you say? Yeah. Like, it's just an incredibly bad move on Adam Silver. It looks really terrible for the league. And um, he's not the progressive commissioner that we all want and to believe that he is. He's really done nothing since banning Donald Sterling, which, I mean, logically. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's just not like if the bar is that low, we're having some trouble here. But um, yeah, unfortunately, that's where we are. Yeah, and on a final note, before we move on to questions, uh, I'm just I'm really glad that Masai has not let like the experience die down. Like he's been very vocal about it um, because oftentimes, like we wait until people are just like irreversibly harmed by this sort of violence before they speak up and before we take it seriously. But I feel like um, we should nip it on the bud just at, not just even assault, like he experienced, like being pushed, but like the things as minor as microaggressions, I feel like we all need to be better um, at pointing it out, at discussing it, at like just um, letting people know that it's not really a, it's not a way to conduct yourself with other people. Um, and I just, I just really like that he's been so, um, transparent about the process and just always um discussing i it. hate that he has to I, it's horrible that, that, that it's not yeah, his but, his employer is is also on the other end of the people who are continuing to gaslight him mm -hmm. who are continuing to tell him that he was the one at fault and it's like we can never get to a point where we call out microaggressions at a major level and have everyone else fully understand what we're talking about if assaults if murder if things that are clearly black and white um can't even be called out without people calling him into question, calling the victims mm -hmm. into question in each of those scenarios. We're just never going to get anywhere. And Adam Silver's like a prime example of uh, people who need to change. Yeah. And it's, um, the, yeah, I appreciate it because he absolutely doesn't have to do this. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't think I would. Like, I would, I feel like it's something that I would not want to continually remember. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, for so sure. So I, I appreciate that, um, the fact that he would share that. 
So moving on to questions, um, on a lighter note, <laughs> luckily we got a bunch of great questions. Um, I, I remember like, was it Sandy, like Sandy the other night said that, Hey, we don't get this much questions. That was literally, uh, a couple weeks ago like, with great Katie, yeah. uh, Nora and myself, we got one question <laughs> after leaving it up for hours. <laughs> but, um, I think the key is to just say so like 20 minutes prior. So everyone feels rushed. <laughs> <laughs> Suckers, it was 24 hours prior. <laughs> we should just pretend to post the episode and do so. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read some questions. Um, the first one here is, if current NBA players have to compete in the Lumberjack games, who would win? <laughs> um, his name is Aaron Baines. Baines. That was the, Kelsey said here, let me read Kelsey's answer. Uh, Steven Adams is the only answer and everything else is wrong. <laughs> Okay, that is fair. fair, right? When I saw that, I'm like, true. That is fair. <laughs> that is fair. I would love to see Aaron Baines and Steven. Because, like, if you tell me who looks like a lumberjack, I could see Aaron Baines in a lumberjack commercial. Like, I could see him in full flannel, holding an axe, and standing by a tree. If you ask me who I think would perform better in it, it's probably Stephen Adams. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Stephen. And I, I remember when we were going over the same question on the. I'm gonna keep referring to the last recording. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but because so much of what I said was there. Um, I, I be, we were listing off players, uh, Katie and myself, and I um, realized we were only mentioning centers, <laughs> which is like you know who 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 in the NBA looks like they can chop wood, and then we were just listing like yeah, Boban and Bead, <laughs> yeah. Bobon, I feel like Bobon would be difficult because it's like, can you find an axe that will fit in his hands? <laughs> it'll look like a like a hammer or something. Like it'll look really small. Yeah. Okay. So, do you even use an axe to chop a tree? Am I just can you use making an axe up to chop a tree? Is that what people I, use? I yeah, don't know. I think I'm they imagining use axes, something that looks and then, like an like, axe to chop a log of wood. You use a saw, I think, and then yeah, you use an axe to chop wood. You try to get strikes in there. Okay. Yeah. I'm a city girl. Go. I'm sorry. We're city girls. <laughs> um, yeah. This is a good one. Um, I don't even know what a tree looks like. <laughs> yeah, what are these things? I see them in books sometimes. <laughs> and movies. <laughs> um, most obscure Raptors player you can think of and their best moments. I feel like this is like right up your alley. <laughs> oh my God. Most obscure. And their best moments. I feel like it's, I feel like it's not right up my alley because you would say a name and I'd be like, that's obscure. Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, most obscure raptor. You know, I, uh, okay, so, um, on Clubhouse, uh, Sandy and I were in a room recently with Pops Mensabonsu. With who, sorry? I didn't get um, With, with Pops Mensabonsu. And we, and so, so this is just someone who's coming to mind right now because I love Pops. And he was just a fan favorite Uh at the time because high energy guy, like, um, just like high energy, really springy, kind of looks like the build of someone that Masai Ujiri would draft with the, the second round pick <clears> and would be uh, a top five contributor to the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> he does have an MO, yeah. Just super, <laughs> yeah, uh, super springy, high motor guy. And I remember him having his career high and the ACC's like roof was about to just blow out. And he was kind of talking about that game. Um, and I was just asking him more questions. And I kind of, I just started talking to him about like, do you think that like, if you played in today's game, just because I, I think he would be better suited just with his build to play in today's game. Um, and you're talking about like all limbs uh, type of player. 
high energy, high motor type of guy. And he was like, I was like, if you played in today's game, do you think you would take more threes? And I was just asking him more questions. And he was like, I was a three point shooter, actually. <laughs> He's like, that's what I wanted to be. But they just had me, they just had me underneath the rim the entire time. Like I had to be in the dunker spot. I had to just grab rebounds. I had to be kind of a rugged type of guy. And I thought that was really interesting to think about like at that time, how coaches were just like, no, you're not working on that. Whereas right now you get a guy of his size and you're like, no, you better space the floor for these yeah. guys. And so I just thought that was really funny because I think we were just kind of comparing him to some other Raptor players and talking about whether or not he would shoot threes. So that's going to be my person. Yeah, no, that's a good choice. Um, I'm always fascinated by like players who are who seem just too ahead of their era. You know what I mean? Where they would have thrived. Yeah. There are so many players like that. Um, who would I pick? I think I would see Jamario Moon probably. And, like, whatever of his Ooh. many highlight-worthy dunks. <laughs> um, because, like, I feel like when your team stinks, <laughs> which was the case back then, um, yeah. like, dunks, um, highlight plays, that's, like, what you live for. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah I, th- I think he, his, his um, highlight-worthy dunks just coincides. I love how we just pick very, like, high-motor, high-energy, so springy-type like, dudes. It I is, love that. it is. I, and too, the Raptors are like kind of um, full of players like that. It's kind of like what they kind of look for, like high motor, um, you know. Yeah. Un- unless we're talking about the Brian Colangelo oh, yeah. there was there was a seven year period where that was was not the Raptors mo. <laughs> that is um, true. If I could just like m- mention one, this is not an obscure player at all, but just a story that I love sharing. Um, ever since I, I heard it, um, was Charles Oakley when he was on the Raptors and um, Vince was a rookie. T Mac was in his second year. Um, and the opposing team would just, their shoot around would extend longer than it was supposed to. And the Raptors were supposed to be on the court at that time. He would just take a bunch of balls and start whipping it at the opposing team <laughs> until they would get off the court. And I just think that that's a hilarious No, that thing. is so funny. Oh, my God. I mean, what is what is that? Like, is that like a, like a power move when you take over another team's scheduling? Yes. Yeah, he was just like, you guys are not going to punk us on our court and just like completely just, and Charles Oakley, I think, is one of our favorite Raptors of all time, although I don't know that he looked at Knicks probably, but you know, fine. James Dolan banned him from that arena, so we'll just reclaim our son. Um, But yeah, I thought that was really funny. No, that's great. Um, Let's see the next question. Sorry, I'm just literally scrolling down. I said our son, like he's, he's really Raptors' grandfather. Read that one. Read that one. Oh, okay. Uh, what dollar amount would be enough to take one charge from a full speed Zion Williamson? <laughs> <laughs> and answer it seriously. Um, like literally consider costs, um, uh, pain and suffering, all of that. <laughs> okay. Well, um, let's see. Answer it. Like I, I would do it for a million. Okay. Is that like way too I feel high? Like that's a little high like, because probably, I remember I, I would do it for less. <laughs> I was really like stewing over this question. Like I was considering like my, everything. Like I was considering student loans and everything. Okay, no, that's very fair because we also we live in Canada, so I know that like my hospital bills are going to be taken exactly. Care like of. I I don't have to factor that mm-hmm. in at all. Um, I'm gonna say. Fifty thousand. I would do it for. Yeah, I was gonna say I would do it. Yeah, for like 50. I would seriously I, do it for fifty thousand. Like I would take a here's charge. Here's the thing, time. though. Here's the thing, though. If someone came to you and said, "Hey, Yaz, this is twenty five thousand dollars," 
all you have to do is take a charge. I think I would still I do would it. Stand up. I yeah. would do it. <laughs> that is actually so, so surprising. <laughs> I, I, would, I never considered I it. The answer is we could be had for pretty cheap, Zion. If you would like to run into yeah, any yeah, of just us, cover, and just cover twenty five thousand. Just cover, um, <laughs> you know, some savings, uh, my physiotherapy, pain and suffering. <laughs> Yeah, like, I just, I feel like, you know what, that might, like, realign my back as well, because I'm, like, in, you know, COVID and just hunched over my laptop the entire time. Maybe that could, like, reset me, don't have to pay a chiropractor any longer. Um, I just feel like if Kyle could take charges every single day, I could probably take it one time in my life. Bam, herniated disc for life. <laughs> I, that, that, but then, also, you will have, like, a dinner party story for the rest of your life. <laughs> Exactly, and I and I would be twenty five thousand dollars richer. I'm gonna say 50, fifty as my you know what? sweet spot. I'm gonna I'm gonna set it yeah. to fifty. But here's the thing: if you offer me twenty five, I'm not gonna say no. I'm just telling you, fifty is my starting price. I'll do it, but I won't like it at twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so another one is a question I feel like Raptors fans all, uh, often contemplate, and is that that is um, should Canada get another NBA team? Um, I'm of the belief that I feel like the arrangement right now probably works best. And on it, Katie brought up a good point when we answered this question the other day where she said um, she thinks it makes more sense to give another team to the GTA than to another part of Canada. And I was like, that's so funny. <laughs> I disagree. Sorry? You, you disagree, disagree with that? Well, what, te- I disagree what location with that. in Canada do you think would be able to sustain a second NBA team? I Best. think that it would it should go back. Here's the thing. Do I think the NBA should do this? It's you're, you're going to get a team in Seattle before you get a yeah, team I agree. in anywhere in in Canada. Um and I think that there are a couple of of American markets that you could probably Louisville, get a team yeah. in probably Louisville, Las Vegas. <clears throat> um there's just there's some other areas. Having said that, I still think Vancouver could that be That was my first point. Yeah. One. I thought Vancouver would be able to sustain a team far better than suggestions of Montreal. Um I just feel like yeah, I, I yeah, like the the language barrier and then like the winters yeah. would be even worse than Toronto's. Like I don't see that happening anytime soon. I don't see that happening at all. But yeah. Vancouver, I could totally see them getting a team. Um, you know, it's been there before, so it's been there before. So the NBA thought it was a good idea exactly. at one point, <clears throat> and it's only grown as a market. Um, I mean, Vancouver in nineteen ninety eight or 95 versus Vancouver in 2021 is, um, is, I just think that there's, I think they, that's the richest city in Canada. It is, uh, very populated, populated, populous. Yeah. Business hub. It has a high population business hub. It's literally, it's yeah. Right there by, by all of the, the, the Seattle's and the Portland's and everything like that. It just makes the most sense. If a team is going to get one, it's going to be on the West end of Canada. Mm-hmm. So sorry, everybody else. You guys get stuck with it. <laughs> the more, the merrier, but I'm totally fine yeah. with the current arrangement. I like the idea of Canada. Like, or you could be a Cavs fan, like our, our boy. <laughs> yeah, you can find an American. There are plenty of, you know, Canadians that are, you know, Laker fans, uh, Celtic fans. Like, it's okay. You'll be okay. It's fine. Yeah, you'll you'll. It's not really that deep. <laughs> um, okay, this next question comes from our own Kelsey. Uh, would you rather, <laughs> would you rather make out with Tom Thibodeau or Thibodeau, sorry, or have Skip Bayless following <laughs> you around yelling in your ear for 48 hours straight? 
oh, me and Skip. Yeah, like, like kidding? The, I'm yelling back in his ear the entire the time. Oh my god, like, I feel like that's, like, that's hours of free entertainment. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that, and hello, I have a phone. You think I'm not recording that and making bank off of Skip Bayless yelling at me? What can I make off of Tibbs making out with me? Nothing. I would just feel uncomfortable <laughs> for the rest of my life. Whereas I'm recording every single thing Tib, I mean Tibbs, I'm recording every single thing Skip Bayless says, and I'm yelling in his it, ear. Yeah. The entire time as well. Understand the grind. <laughs> Understand? He's, I would just be like, LeBron James is the greatest of all time, actually. It'll be so much fun. Okay. Oh, this is a good question. In lieu of the Chris Bosch debate today, well, it was yesterday. Um, there was a lot of Chris Bosch discourse, <laughs> and it even leaked into today. Um, for anyone who missed it, it was basically um, a Knicks fan's assertion that um, Julius Randle is probably uh, better than peak Chris Bosch. That was like their assertion. Um, <clears throat> so, in lieu of the Chris Bosch debate today, yikes! <laughs> what did the what did his time in Toronto mean to you? How do you quantify what his time as a Raptor meant for basketball in Canada? That's a great question from Mark Schindler. I'll let okay, you start. so how do you quantify what his time as a Raptor meant for basketball in Toronto? So for the, for the first part of the question, uh, what his time in Toronto meant to me, um, I think that having a, just a technically sound skilled, um, all-star caliber player on the Raptors. I, and the way, um, I feel like his years here weren't maximized. It kind of just stressed like the importance to me of, utilizing and valuing like those prime years of your players. And I'm not saying, you know, build a stack team to get them to the final, blah, blah, blah. Like that's not going to happen every single time. Obviously one team wins every single year as a, out of 30, um, you know, only, what is it? 12 teams have won championships or something like that. Yeah, um, so it's like a, that. it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a club, you know what I mean? Um, but it showed me like just, um, it kind of changed how I view um, free agency, how I viewed um, player empowerment and things like that. That's what, that's what I associate Chris Bosch's time in Toronto with most weirdly enough. Um, but, you know, it just it, it showed me that we really should value those years. And if a player feels that he's not being maximized or put in a position to win, like most players just want a chance. Like we saw it with Giannis. Um, most players just want a chance to win at the highest level. Like not everyone is going to be in that scenario where they can acquire um, multiple uh, superstars to basically bolster their chances of winning at the highest level. But, um, you know, he just, he, that's, that's what I associate with most. Um, and how do you quantify what his time as a Raptor meant for basketball in Canada? Um, honestly, like just having that um, skill on your TV day in and day out, it just changes how you view the game. And I feel the same way about how um, one year of Ka- Kawhi having a all-star caliber player on your team, um, it, it, changes your expectations of the team it changes your like when you see it firsthand it changes um how you kind of watch basketball altogether when you see that kind of skill level um regularly it really does yeah for sure um i'm just trying to pull up the question here so i can like read it again so what did his time in toronto mean to you if you want to answer that first part um, it, it meant a lot of different things. I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. So, um, so what did his time in Toronto mean to me and how do I quantify his time as a Raptor, uh, or what it meant to Canada basketball or basketball in Canada? Okay. So, um, it meant a lot of different things to me as a Raptor fan for 
for a number of years, right? Because one, you have Vince Carter leave and he leaves for a ham sandwich and I'm Muslim. <laughs> so it's like, can't touch any of it anyway. Um, and you have Alonzo Mourning saying that he doesn't want to step foot in Canada. Um, not really what he said, but basically what it sounded like to yeah, Canadians. we were down bad. We were down bad. And you have Chris Bosch, who is in, you know, the the highest touted draft since Vince Carter's draft during 98, right? Uh, or I guess 96 is probably the highest one. It's probably not Vince's. Um, it would have been 96, AI, Nash, Kobe. Um, but, you know, and he's in this draft with LeBron and Carmelo and D. Wade, and he's your pick. He's your big man. He's the one that you're kind of hanging your hopes on. So initially, it was just a lot of, like, optimism of what this guy could be. Um, and just you kind of hold on to the star that's there. Um, and, you know, I went to a bunch of Chris Bosch camps as a kid Aww. and his Christmas parties <laughs> that he would have for kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was at so all cute. of those things. Um, Christmas parties that he would have for kids and different things. So, like, what he did for the city of Toronto, I don't think could be underscored. What any all-star does while they're in a city is very major. And I think that's something that, like, we often just they add to the culture with Absolutely, their time yeah. here. They, they add to the culture and they, they, they donate a lot of their resources, their time, and their money to the community as well. And Chris Bosch did exactly that in his time here, as did Vince Carter, as did DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, and all of these all-stars that have come through. So, um... That can't be underscored. He was also just the all-star, right? He was your team's all-star. You repped him. Even if I didn't, like, fully care for his game, even if he wasn't my favorite Raptor on the team, because he was never my favorite Raptor on the team, he was the guy that I was spamming all-star votes for. Uh, not on Twitter, because it didn't exist at the time, but NBA.com, yeah. <laughs> right? Where I would be on there, and I'd be voting for Chris Bosh. And you get really excited when Dwight Howard comes, because you're like, oh, he's friends with Chris Bosh, and he's your all-star that you would, and you know, champion, and... Uh, I remember watching all of, like, the 2008 um, Redeem Team, uh, Olympic Team stuff because Bosch was on that team with a bunch of guys and watching all the videos and consuming all that stuff. And, like, so Bosch meant a lot for Raptor fans at that time because he was the one all-star and he was the one bright spot because the team was just so incredibly dark and bleak. Um, but at the same token, I think for a lot of Raptor fans, and these are conversations that I've had, there was this idea of, like, who's the star that you can build around versus who's the star that you can't. And we hear these conversations quite a bit with Pascal Siakam that I think are incredibly flawed and there's just a lot that's missing in them where it's like, well, he's a number two guy. He's not a main guy. He can't be your franchise player. He can't be your number one. The Raptors waste so much time building around these number twos and blah, da, 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 da. And I think a lot of that started with um, Chris Bosch and just what he is on the team and can he be a number one guy and no he's supposed to be a tertiary guy and that's why he, what what happened in right. Miami worked out so well and all this other stuff and um, so I think the way that I view team building I think the way that I viewed those We the North teams I think all of that was very much skewed by the way that I watched Brian Colangelo try and fail and try and fail and try and fail to build around Chris Bosch um and the way that I view NBA defenses and what teams can do—that's an interesting point, though. Uh, what like, those, what those Raptors teams so, look so like. So you're yeah. saying um, the way, like, going through those Colangelo years and then getting into mm-hmm. like phasing into the We the North era, you think that those years kind of tainted how you view p- uh, team building and how you watch basketball? Yeah, I think it I, not not so much how I but watch how, okay, basketball, so maybe, but the how I view of the team, team building. Okay. Exactly. Um, how do you view and, it now? And very much. 
I think still through the same lens. I, I think I haven't completely walked away from the what Chris Bosh and like because the way that the team built around Chris Bosh and it's like, well, how do you hide these guys' deficiencies? And um, it wasn't so much to me. It wasn't. I think the the conversation about hiding someone's deficiencies probably um, mattered more with a guy like Demar Derozan than a guy like Chris Bosh. Maybe it would have been Andrea Bargnani's deficiencies, but really trying to find those two guys to work together and making these big swings for Sean Marion, making a big free agency pitch for a Hito Turkoglu, bringing in a Jermaine O'Neal, all of these things to kind of maximize what you had with Chris Bosh has made me really anti those big swing moves. And And now you have kind of like the current, um, the current like Raptors pipeline, which is to develop talent over the course of years. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, no, I get what you mean. And then you basically have, Um, um, you basically turn these players into like, you increase their value based on what they bring on the court. Um, and then you yeah. can, instead of making these big swings, you kind of just cu- cultivate like a like a really um, self-sustaining cycle of development. Um, and then when yes. the opportunity arises... Strikes itself, exactly. then you're ready and available. And you have the infrastructure already built, which is something that like, as soon as Masai Ujiri came in, the number one thing he stressed was patience. I'm going to be patient. And he gave that We the North team seven years. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he, people, he gave them over that, all yeah. of the time. And, and whereas Brian Colangelo was, to me at least, and, and granted this is my understanding of building a team as a 13-year-old versus my understanding of building a team as an adult, so it does differ, but it was very quick, easy, win-now moves. It, it would have been, every time I hear someone talk about trading, tanking too, tanking, making a yeah. package, tanking, yes, but like also make, uh, Brian Colangelo wasn't like even pro-tanking though, but like making a package for uh, Andre Drummond. Mm. Where I'm like, for what purpose? Like, what, what, okay, it does it make you better in the short term? Yes, it does. It makes you better in the short term. Just like trading for Sean Marion made the Raptors better in the short term. Did they end up making the playoffs? No. What did they get? They got DeMar Rose instead of Stephen Curry in the draft. Right? Like, <laughs> that's what it did. It made you so, it made you not good enough to still make the playoffs, but it made you better so that you don't draft Stephen Curry in the draft. You get DeMar Rosen because you have the ninth pick as opposed to the seventh pick. Right? So it's like, why do you make these win-now moves? What is the point in an it's Andre like they, Drummond? Why are you trading all of the Raptors' assets for him so that you can pay him in the offseason so that he can be on this team? Does he fit with this team? Does it make sense it, to you long-term? It's kind of like no. um, reacting to the market and the league rather yeah. than having a plan. You know what I mean? Yes, for and sure. Whereas I feel sure. like and that's Masai, exactly what he did. Um, has a plan. You know what I mean? Like if he, he has resigned, a if he, he resigns to the Raptors, I literally will absolutely believe they're going to be winning another championship in the next several years. Like I I'm That's, super yes. confident. Oh, I know I that he hundred percent believe this. Either that or we're gonna be watching amazing basketball for a few years. You know what I mean? Like I feel like oh for there's sure a plan to in yeah, place. a plan in place to innovate. Like to literally me move yeah. this, the the game of and, NBA and basketball we, we forward. <laughs> The fact that we just talked about Pops as being like, oh, he could fit in 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 a in a you know Masai Ujiri team, and he's kind of built like that. And the, the way that we can look at a player and say that's a Masai Ujiri guy, that was never the case with Brian Colangelo. It was very much reacting to the market. It was who was available, who was hot. Oh, Hedo Turklu just came off of a finals run. Let's go and throw all of our resources to get him because he's going to be the biggest free agent that the Raptors have. Oh. 
Um, you know, Jermaine O'Neal can come on this team. We're going to trade away our first round pick to try and get him and, you know, have uh, Andrea Bargnani play small forward in the playoffs. Um, but like, it's, it's very much a reacting thing. And I think at that time, and, and this is probably, this falls a little bit on Chris Bosh. It falls on the Chris Bosh years. Um, but this idea of like guys not wanting to be here. And so you have to get the best to make what you have work. And that very much felt like what Chris Bosh was as an all-star. It was, it was very much what the Raptors felt like as an NBA franchise, which is unfair to Chris Bosh, but probably why those memories of his team, to me, just uh, they're, not, they're not the happiest moments that I have as a Raptor fan. There were a few bright spots, but it very much felt like, yeah, we have the best all-star that we can kind of get, and yeah, we're kind of an NBA team. Yeah, he's kind of an NBA all-star at this moment, but he was really good. And he was really good in his last year here, and I remember defending him very Dark, like staunchly in the same way that I defended DeMar DeRozan in his time here for good years but like also there were a lot of deficiencies in his game and I was able to like I think learning about basketball and really focusing on a guy like Chris Bosh um, because that was a, around the same time that I started to read more analytics based stuff and started to get into insider stuff and like just starting to learn a little bit more about Chris Bosh's game probably in that 2009-2010 year so all of that kind of really um is how I remember the Chris Bosh time. And I, I think that he's changed. I think he's impacted Canada basketball or basketball in Canada as a whole because if they didn't have Chris Bosh, those years would have been abysmal. Yeah. I they would have been a train wreck. We have playoff wins. We have 47 win Atlantic Division banners. Uh, actually, did they get a division banner? I can't remember if they got a division banner that year. But um, you have some high memories, and you had an all-star to root for. You can watch the all-star game and be proud of a moment. You can watch Olympic basketball and be proud of a player. You had something to cheer for and to hold on to in some of the darkest years, and without that, the Raptors would have had absolutely yeah, nothing. I'm not sure they would have kept the team at that point in the, in the franchise. In all honesty, in the like, franchise's it, infancy it was, when it was only what, like... Fifteen years old. It would have like, been. Or, it it would have been. Yeah, I think it would have been ten oh, yeah. years when Vince left. <clears throat> it would have been ten years when Vince left. So it was a baby. Yeah, that that would have been very seeing. <laughs> that's an alternate dimension for you. <laughs> for sure. Um, so, uh, next question is, or you like strike big and get Kevin Durant because you're such a bad. <laughs> Who else? Um. Okay, so has Adam Silver entered the supervillain league of commissioners, or is he still a tier below Goodell? <laughs> I don't watch football. Yeah, me neither. I have no frame of reference. Um, so I have no... Uh, yeah, like, I, I know that Goodell's evil. I know that football, <laughs> that the NFL is, is pretty evil. I Here's the thing, like, there's, there's no good one. <laughs> yeah, like, ultimately, like, right? if you're... I feel like if you're... Um, anti-capitalist in any sense or like you have a aversion to managerial culture or corporate culture you're not going to like any of these commissioners which i i feel like the yeah, job is inherently going to be at odds with your beliefs um and that's like going to be the case period if i'm just going to continue on the hunger games yeah go for um, it i loved it <laughs> adam silver's president snow probably who right like uh, coin who's who was the woman who was the woman was it coin or snow 
Let me. Are you talking about the? Uh, um, I, I watched it so many years third, ago. In the third one, District District uh, Thirteen, the one that nobody knew about, and she was supposed to like the Hillary Clinton version. You know how like there's a comparison. Oh to yeah, Hillary? yeah. I just feel like this idea of a progressive leader, this like face of of a progressive leader, and of this progressive society, which is I guess the NBA. But in reality, it's just as regressive, just as controlling, and just as corporate and awful as all of the other districts that are being led by uh, President Snow. I believe her name was was President Coyne. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I've, so they're both they're two sides of the same coin, is what we're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, just maybe one has a better, um, more skilled PR <laughs> operatives, like, or right. has a better, um, you know, uh, conveys their themselves better or more palatable. Um, you know, to the masses, but ultimately, like, if you, if you have an issue with that kind of, um, um, power structure and stuff, which, you know, I feel like a lot of people in my age group tend to, whether they know it or not, they tend to have, like, an aversion to that, but, um, yeah, so let's see the next question. Um, oh, I, I forgot who I think asked. we make the mistake of, I think we make the mistake of painting Adam Silver as a progressive leader when in reality it's just the NBA is more progressive. The people, exactly. Like um, it's, it's the people that make it and he kind of has no choice but to sort of exist. But I think had he been the commissioner in the early 2000s, we would have seen a dress code um, oh, being yeah. implemented like, by him in the Absolutely, same way that yeah. we saw with Stern. Um, because, and, and it's the same thing with Stern, how we just sort of paint him as a progressive guy. And like, granted, there's a lot of things that Stern did that I'm not a huge fan of, but he was also of the time. And I think if we saw Stern right now as commissioner, um, it would be, it would be very much, it would be very similar to to what Adam Silver is doing. They're just, they're just figureheads um, trying to appease the owners and the public at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Like, a, that's, that's what, that's a good point that, um, you know, you have a league which is like 70% compromised of a bunch of racialized men um, in an age where we're all constantly trying to challenge um, authority, cult, like things that we um, have accepted as normal in society. Like these guys are kind of just, inherently positioned um to question like i often feel that way about myself in the sense that um you know i I don't want to label myself as an activist or something but i just existing (laughs) in the way that i do like just my disposition as a human being as a black woman is like it forces you um to defend your livelihood because it's human nature you know what i mean Right. Um, so no, I, I feel like um, a lot of these guys do so because they're, you know, oftentimes racialized, oftentimes grew up um, in poverty or low income. Um, so they just naturally question these things. And then we give the credit to a league that reacts to these concerns. You know what I mean? Rather than the people exactly. who develop um, and share these thoughts or challenge these things. So um, I'm going to move on to our last question. And I feel like this is the perfect note to end on because <laughs> it concerns Lowry. Um, would Lowry be the best player coach in the league if he had to do it? Um, and I, yeah, it's an interesting conversation because of, um, having the coaching staff, you know, just decimated by COVID protocol. Everyone was talking about, oh my God, Lowry should coach, Lowry should coach. Um, he joked that he almost cried when he wasn't allowed to do it. Um, and (laughs) one thing that's super interesting about Lowry is that we all want to believe that he'll be an excellent, um, uh, coach if he ever chooses to pursue it. Um, and I'm sure he'd figure it out, but he consistently tells us that he doesn't think he'd be a good coach. Yeah. Um, 
Even Ms. Holloway said when she was on her pod, she was like, uh, Kyle's mom, she was just like, I wouldn't want to go tell him no. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I wonder if he would actually make a good coach. I feel like coaching Only- is beyond having a brilliant basketball mind sometimes like it balancing personalities and coordinating a staff like it's a lot of things that might not appeal to everybody no matter how brilliant or creative they are (laughs) right I mean Jason Kidd was a terrible coach exactly (laughs) there's there's a really like uh, who, who knows right um and like it I think he would be one of the better ones if you're a player coach just because you get to be on the floor as well. Right. <laughs> and I feel like Kyle's whole thing will just be like focusing on the play. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but also just like he just has to coach himself essentially, right? You're just like putting the ball by <laughs> hands and I'm I'm I tr- I entrust myself with um with decision making on the court. But um I, I think Chris Paul is is kind of the obvious answer that people wanna point to there as well. Um I think LeBron as well, just someone who's a great floor general. On the, on, um, but I feel like is I feel like who we uh, think this of. Is, uh, tell me if you agree or not. But I feel like mm-hmm. oftentimes um, it it might work against a coach if they are a, like just a generational sort of talent. Like, do they assume everyone can do mm-hmm. what they do? <laughs> that's see, see, that's real. But you, the reason why I say LeBron is because um, no, but that that's a good point is because we've always kind of said that LeBron is the coach, right? Like, That's true, if yeah. If his team wins, it's like, okay, was it David Blatt or is it LeBron James? There's a right? number of... And we've done this. There have been a number of great coaches who have not been, you know, superstars, <laughs> which I think is, like, such an interesting... I think the major- I think the majority of yeah. them, right? Like, I think the best coaches in the league, um, which, which is a whole other conversation because when we think about the best coaches that are former players, we're probably going to point to a lot of white guys, um, and that has to deal with the conversation of who gets these opportunities, oh, yeah. who gets a longer leash, um, and and different things like that because it, it does take a long time to to you know who's trusted or yourself trusted as a coach who's, who's, who's or trusted, whose who's, who's opinions right? and um, theories are valued ultimately. For sure, because if you look at someone like um, Patrick Ewing, who's been trying to coach since I mean as long as I've been alive, it feels like. Um, and hasn't gotten a crack at it, but then you have Steve Nash get a crack at it the first time that he, has, I guess, has ever even whispered that he wants to be a coach, or the same thing with Steve Kerr, and all these different guys. It like it, it stands to reason that a lot of the best coaches in the league that were former players weren't superstars because we're talking about white guys. Right, yeah. And the superstars of the league tend to be black because being a superstar in the league is merit-based, and being a coach isn't always merit-based. Uh, yeah, that's, that's basically what it comes down to exactly <laughs> um yeah so thank you iman so much for re-recording this with me um not at all so I, i'm having so much deja vu it's like destabilizing i keep thinking did i say this last time i'm gonna say it again um <laughs> that was me throughout this entire episode but anyways thank you so much for listening guys um thank you for sending in such great questions uh, we're probably gonna check in with you guys with a um live show um are we gonna do like a all-star like watch thing or uh, post game or something because the Raptors aren't playing so probably because Raptors aren't gonna be playing so we can't even do like a pre-game yeah that would yeah, be like fun. maybe we'll do like an epi- a midweek episode to discuss the events can I like dress up pretend like we're going yeah. somewhere with <laughs> really it's my event. living room <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways thank you guys so much uh peace out bye everybody